Welcome to the Design Leaders Podcast. I speak with candidates every day looking to grow in the world of design, development, and construction. I also speak with market leaders at the peak of their career who regularly talk about mentorship and helping the next crop of leaders in their development. How can we help professionals reach their goals in a small but ever-growing industry? Each episode, I want to provide a great opportunity for professionals of all levels to learn from market and thought leaders about avenues for development, areas to focus, how to speak about their project experience, and over time, help guide other professionals in their longer-term goals and motivations. This morning, I'm here with Regal Lefwich, Vice President, Senior Laboratory Planner at Canon Design. I first spoke with Regal about a year ago and knew immediately I was speaking to an industry and market thought leader. I'll allow him to go into his own background shortly, but for those of you who don't know Regal, Regal has spent at least the last 15 years focused in the world of lab planning with some of the most reputable firms in the world, notably Perkins and Will, Age, Smith Group, and now with Canon Design. Regal, I really appreciate you coming on to the episode and welcome. Thanks, Jackie. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. Um, so firstly, Regal, I guess just for those that don't know you, um, how and why did you first get into architecture and design? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, growing up, I, um, you know, everyone has has someone that kind of motivates them. Um, my dad was an engineer um, and my sister and brothers eventually became engineers. Um, uh, and and then my mom was kind of, you know, more more artsy. And so um, I didn't quite fit in the engineering. And and uh, but, you know, I always have that left brain, right brain um, uh, connection going on. And so uh, architecture just felt right. And it just seemed, um, you know, I went, I luckily went to a, a high school that had a pretty good STEM program and, you know, I was exposed early to it and it just seemed, it seemed something that, um, I was interested in as well as like a focus on technology, uh, which I didn't know at the time you could do both. Um, I learned that a little later in, in my career. Yeah. Interesting. I can only imagine with a family of engineers and yourself what those, you know, Sunday dinner conversations are like. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously, you know, people can check you out on LinkedIn and, and see kind of the last 15, 16 years of your career. But giving an early an idea of your early career, what sector of design did you start in? Um and 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 what area of design do you focus in now? Yeah. So when I when I started actually, um uh, my first, my first few, uh, jobs while I was in school, um, were actually at a park and I worked at a park for a long time. And so that, that actually kind of helped set the stage for an appreciation of site and place and culture and things like that. Um, uh, and so in my first few, you know, iterations, um, I was exposed early on probably my second, um, job, right. Or my first job right out of school, but my second, um, architecture office, um, I was exposed to um, a project where, you know, the, the science planners came in uh, and, you know, they they met with all of the the end users. Uh, they went over, um, you know, all of the lab stuff. And it was it was all the stuff I thought was really cool. Um, mm -hmm. And and they came in, did all the really cool stuff and then left. And, and then I'm like, oh, and now I'm laying out the bathrooms and, you know, other stuff. And I thought, huh, you know, I think I want to do that. And um that that always impressed me and it took a while to kind of come back to that but um the you know i kind of lucked out with this alignment that happened right after school is um there was the crash of the the dot com in the dc area mm -hmm. so um uh 
some, you know, AOL went under and there was a lot of, a lot of tech spaces that were opening up to be renovated. And um, I was working at a, you know, interior design firm um, that, that did a lot of that work. So I was exposed to kind of a lot of these cool ideas that were happening um, uh, in a time that was also overlapping um, with the human genome project. And so the, the DC region, especially around NIH, was just booming with life science right around then. Um, mm -hmm. And so it was kind of right place, right time um, early on in the early 2000s that that all this hit. And um, uh, so, you know, I went from uh, interior corporate interior design um, to, to dabbling in residential um, and then and then really to sticking it right, getting right in the middle of, of the, all of the laboratory work um, that was happening on the East Coast. Interesting. And how did you feel about that transition from, you know, interiors and residential into lab work and lab spaces? It, you know, I think one of the things um, uh, that, you know, any, any time I talk with someone who's interested in, in laboratory planning early on their career, and I mean, within the first few years, um, you know, you have to, you have to kind of experience design on different levels. I think, um, before you can really focus on some of the science design, because you need to understand how the building goes together, um, how the, the different parts, the interacting with the client and things like that. And, and obviously you can, you can learn that, but I think, you know, our, our schools and our education um, for, for architects, if, if that's your, your, um, you know, way of entering in um, or interior designers, you know, is prior towards is, prioritizes design. Um, and when you get into the science world, it's about functionality. And so if you haven't gotten the design bug out of your system, um, you're going to, you're going to kind of wake up in a cold sweat to uh, Excel spreadsheets and databases and, you know, all of this kind of um, information validation we do as part of the planning process that, um, you know, might not seem so sexy, you know, if you're into, into, you know, shaping the building in, in ways um, uh that you probably learned out of school. And so it's, it's kind of this long road before you get to that part. And, you know, I think any, any young designer probably, you know, experiences that, that, yeah, you are going to detail some bathrooms first. Right. And, you know, that's just part of the process. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I think the, like, you know, the, the, the um, advice I have for, you know, anyone maybe at any point in their career really is, um, you know, you, you can look on the horizon to, you know, that, that job or the title or the role and things like that, but you really got to be enjoying the process, mm -hmm. you know, and if, once you start enjoying the process, the other stuff starts to come because, um, you, you just kind of have fun with it. So, you know, that's, that's my point is to focus on the process, maybe not, not the end results that that's, that's going to happen at the end. Right. Um, Interesting. It is something I hear from many candidates I speak with. It's this kind of internal discussion about functionality versus flair and creative flair. So I think it's something quite personal to each designer, architect, planner of kind of where they might be ready. But in, in those early days, Regal, how do you think your leadership, whether it is SST or Perkins and Will or Smith Group, how, how do you think your leadership will have described you? Yeah, th that's a great question. And, um, you know, it's, it's something, um, you know, reflecting, kind of reflecting on that and thinking about that. Um, I think, I think my leadership style then hasn't changed. Um, and, you know, I think it's evolved, but it, it hasn't changed. And I, you know, I approach something with, you know, the, the Zen kind of beginner's mind. And I think my leadership style has always been, you know, 
walk in a room and be a sponge and, you know, approach everything like you're doing it for the first time. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think, you know, there's this tendency, um, you know, in your career to say, Oh, I've done this for two years. Right. Oh, I'm super good at this. Right. And then, and then after you've been doing it for five years, you say, Oh, two years wasn't really that much. Right. And then, and then suddenly after 10 years, you say, Oh, five years really wasn't that much. And you keep, you keep kind of going. And I think it's, you know, we have some really highly trained, highly skilled um, people entering the workforce. And, you know, it's, it's important to remember that you're also working with people that have been in the workforce for 40 years. And obviously, you know, there's different levels of innovation and different levels of, of ideas and things coming in like that. But if, if you enter into your career thinking you figured everything out, you're going to be surprised. Right. Um, And so, so I think, I think having a leadership style and, you know, comes, comes from different things, but I think, uh, you know, everyone's going to have to find their own that works for them. But for me, having that, that just beginner's mind um, at the start is something, you know, I've, you know, been able to cultivate as I get older and, um, you know, and I think, the leadership style is like, can I make more people with beginner's minds? Right. And, you know, look at it in this way that's um, from pure curiosity and um, a new perspective. Uh, so interesting. Yeah. And would you feel as though that had quite a big impact into, I appreciate you mentioned that, you know, your leadership style might not really have changed, but do you think that mentality has had an impact into your leadership style now? And to that question, how would those employees that are in your team and, and kind of more junior professionals how do you think they would describe you as a leader now yeah yeah that's 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 good um you know i stay i stay in touch with a lot of the employees i work with and so i think i think one of the things is kind of cultivating um you know this this friendship and almost a family. And, you know, in, in our profession, you spend a lot of time with people traveling and, you know, in, in the studio working. And so I think you, you have to, you know, as, as people evolve, um, you know, uh, and and I think the thing we forget, you know, on projects or anything like that is if it's, you know, a long scale project, two to five years, um, people, people are going to advance out of their roles they're in. And, you know, so you have this, this project that has an evolving team, you know, with, with different people. And, um, and, you know, that's the goal is to, to train someone to do your job so you can do someone else's job. Right. And I think, um, I think, uh, you know, just, you know, this idea of, of being an architect or a designer or things like that, that, you know, you kind of have different phases in your career. Um, one might be focused on the technical and then you start focusing maybe more on the management, right? And then, you know, as you progress, um, maybe you're focused more on the thought leadership. And um, although the type and, you know, the um, the scope of what you're working on is pretty similar, your, your roles have changed and your leadership style is going to have to evolve to those different ideas and, and um, uh, you know, problem solving um, uh, experiences that you, you might have. And um, so I think, I think, you know, so, and some people may say one track and some people may kind of move their career around different, different phases um, in, in a firm. Um, but I think, you know, being somewhat fluid in, in how you um, are able to approach 
your leadership style is important. Um, so I think, um, I, I, you know, that, that would be a great question to go back. The second part of your question to go back and ask people I've worked with, you know, what, what do you think? Um, I, I don't, I don't know. I'd like to think um, that everyone I talk to, you know, um, is able to have at least, you know, fond experiences and, and say they've learned and developed their career under me and, and things like that. So I'd hope, um, you know, um, and, and, you know, thinking through this, um, one of the things I try to do, you know, when I'm working with um, uh, younger staff or mentoring staff is, um, you know, how do I get them excited about this? Or how do I bring out that motivation, right? And how do I, how do I, um, um, you know, start to, start to help them find meaning in what they do, um, and then support that. Uh, and I, so, you know, I do, I do get calls, you know, recently someone, you know, that, that I was mentoring, you know, is now on the owner's side and was calling for a reference. And, and so I think, um, I think I love getting calls when I hear about someone advancing their career based on something we might've had as a discussion five or 10 years ago. Um, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> so, so I think, you know, uh, also just staying in touch um, is, is something that's, that's important. Um, and maybe that's a testament to, to a leadership style that, you know, doesn't really matter where you work as long as you can, um, you know, remain colleagues in the industry. I think, especially you know in an industry that's altogether not that big but then particularly in your space of lab work and life sciences that is so niche and specialist and, and small i think that's that's pretty crucial is is remaining you know in contact and, and keeping those relationships but that makes sense i think I, I i like the idea of kind of mentoring someone to do your role so you can take someone else's role i like that notion of uh, that you put forward a moment ago when do you feel, Regal, that you became a leader? Was there a moment that you felt, oh, um, you know, I'm, I'm leading this process, leading this project? Or was it over time when you looked back and then realized, I am a leader in this market at this point? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, <clears throat> um, I think it, it was kind of more of a surprise, you know, when when I think, you know, when I thought I was a leader, was earlier than when I actually realized I was a leader. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think, um, you know, at, at some point in your career, you'll be in the middle of it and you'll realize middle management sucks, right? Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite doing the work and I'm not quite in charge of the work. And so I think, I think somewhere, somewhere in there, you have to say, how do I minimize this phase? Right. And, mm -hmm. and, um, and I think, I entered that phase early thinking, oh, I'm, I'm bigger than this. Right. And, you know, and, and I think, um, so my, my thinking of when I was a leader was, was earlier in terms of, um, you know, uh, working with staff and projects and things like that. Um, I think when I actually became a leader was when I realized people were coming to me and I wasn't trying to, you know, do, do anything other than just do a good job on a project. And when, when people started coming to me, I started, you know, thinking, wow, this is crazy. Like, okay, you know, like this is it. Right. And, and it, it was kind of a, a self-reflection like, oh, this is what a leader does. Right. And it's not, um, it's not about, you know, the, the difference between a manager and a leader, you know, like people are following you and they're coming to you and you've built a team and suddenly you realize, oh, okay. Like um, whether the team directly reports to me or it's a team, you know, from associate firm or, you know, things like that, 
you've you've built something and you know and that's when you know once once you do that that's when you realize with people and then with ideas is you start to say oh now people in the you know the market are coming to me um and that's when you start to realize like um you're you're a leader and i think i think in you know in, in our world of of content and you know um building building your your social um um proof in a um in a market um you know there's a lot of self um uh you know i well, i guess you know you you have to advocate for yourself and um i think it's it's almost you can have this fake it till you make it kind of attitude um that oh i'm gonna i'm gonna learn about this right and um you know i don't i don't have time to do this for 30 years before i become a market leader like i'm gonna figure out what what makes the market tick um and and I think there's a, a time when you realize, oh, I'm working with people who've been doing this for 50 years, right? And I'm nowhere near, you know, I I don't have the experience they have. But you know, you you start to think, I have different experiences, right? And and you you put yourself out there, and then and then at some point people start coming to you um, if you've been doing it long enough. And um, and hopefully it's not 50 years, but um, I think each generation kind of rotates and you're bringing different things to the table and, you know, what, what we do as architects and engineers, you know, we, we're, we're actually creating these cultural, um, you know, items like as buildings, right. And everyone's different. So everything's a prototype in a sense. Um, you know, we're not mass producing things. We're customizing it. Uh, in that sense, um, um, you know, the leaders five years ago might have lost something uh, because what we did five years ago isn't what we do now. And mm -hmm. in, in terms of, you know, ideas in terms of, especially in, in health and in science of how fast the technology and the ideas and the ways of working are evolving. Right. And, mm -hmm. um, and especially with, with the, um, younger uh younger workforce that's entering you know there's there's a new math you know they've they've never you know they they're not even from the century you know or millennia we were like you know there's there's this evolution and you have to realize that um uh you know if you don't evolve you know you're you're going to be stuck um uh so I, that might be a long-winded answer for for your question um yeah, but the, the, as a recruiter, there's nothing more I enjoy than open-ended questions that kind of, you know, deliver in, you know, open-ended responses because we get a real good insight into, you know, how you're thinking and, and what you're thinking in general. So you know, that, that makes sense. Um, speaking of those leaders that maybe have lost something, you know, what, what's something that you've taken on board from a previous leader in your career that, you know, still sticks with you today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of, one of the things, you know, we, we get involved in what we do um, to a sense that, you know, we almost start living in our own, you know, created reality and it's, you know, oh, design's the most important thing. And, you know, sometimes you lose, you lose sight of, of the client um, in a, a sense that you think, oh, we're trying to do this, you know, we want to get in this magazine or we want to win an award or, you know, things like that. Um, uh, that's easy, easy to get wrapped up into um, in in the design world, and I think 
you know, one of the things early on, you know, I had a, a mentor that um, he cut out, he cut out the photos of the end users of the building and hung them up. And, you know, that's, that really stuck with me that, you know, in the end, you have to remember who's actually going into these spaces, right? And for them to be functional. And so every, every project I start, you know, I get, you know, whether if I can find it on the web or somewhere, but, you know, I get faces, I put them up and, you know, I make sure that, you know, when I get out of bed, you know, that I remember, you know, that these projects that you work on for years, um, uh, they do have someone that will occupy it. And, you know, that's what we need to be thinking about. Um, because in the end, um, whether we like it or not, engineering architecture, it's a service industry. Um, and, and we're here to really serve the client. Um, and so I think, I think having that, that compass of just remembering who it is, um, you know, that gets you excited and, and uh, gets you out of bed, um, just to focus on that. And remember that that's what this is for. And all the decisions you make, you know, need to be in their interest as, as an advocate for what they do. Um, Sure. I think it's an interesting way to really think about the end user of the space that you're creating. Um, and next, Regal, it, it could be that leader that you're describing there, or it could be someone else. And I'm going to kind of, you know, ask you to hone in on one. But who is a quality former leader of yours, former mentor of yours that you always respected, still respect to this day? And, and why? Yeah, <laughs> I've, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to, to, to name them all, because I think over time, there's, there's been a lot, I think, you know, I could, I could start with a high school drafting teacher, or, you know, some of mm -hmm. some of the first things, some, some mentors, some or, or some college professors, and, and some of my first careers, I think in, in terms of lab, you know, becoming a lab planner, and, and, and focused on laboratory design, you know, and, I, I wouldn't be where I am, I think, without some of the leadership from, um, you know, my first role as a lab planner. And, um, you know, there's there's two mentors I've had there, um, I think, um, uh, that have advocated for me um, that have been really well. But, you know, I'd say um, and, and I'm friends with, you know, still to this day, but I'd say David McCullough and Chris Cowensage, um from from my SST days, they um they they really you know were focused on growing staff and growing their careers and focused on becoming the next them um, and and so I think you know um, that's been extremely important to have them and remain to have them in my lives as as someone that you know um, uh, is is an advocate and supports me even though you know we may be at different companies now and things like that. Um, I think they'll both be very happy to hear that when they inevitably this gets shared online and then hopefully they see it. I'm sure they'll be very happy to hear. Listen, that's kind of, you know, going over your own development and your own growth and your career. I'm going to move on to design now, Regal, um, and kind of more of a hypothetical open-ended question again. If you could design or build anything you wanted, money not being an option, what would you work on? <laughs> I know exactly what it would be. It would be a cabin. It would be a net zero, maybe Earthship, um, some 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 kind of thing like that. And so that's it's I'm so close to being able to work on something like that. You know, I can I can feel it. But, um, uh, you know, it, it, it would be that or making my own sailboat. I don't know one or the other, um, but it would be heavy carpentry related. Um, yeah. Interesting. So pretty far, far cry away from designing laboratories and life sciences spaces. <laughs> um, yeah. 
But but in that world of lab of lab work and life sciences spaces, what's the favourite project of yours that you've been a part of, and, and what was your role on that project? Um, gosh, yeah, I mean, you know, the the question, what's your favourite one? Ah, the next one. Um, you know, I've I've had a lot of um a lot of great experiences from from projects that won lab of the year to um other awards, and and I think you know that's that's a testament, but I think sometimes, you know, the testament's just how the end user really enjoys it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but it's always nice to, to have your, your peers recognize your work. Um, but, but I think usually, and I think, you know, some, some current projects with my team have been just so rewarding because, um, we've been able to kind of work in a really, um, flat hierarchy that, that focuses on living center design. Um, and so we're, we're thinking about the community, we're thinking about the users, we're thinking about the environment, you know, all as all of this process. And so um, a, a recent project that we're wrapping up is with um, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and it's um, uh, a 14-story laboratory building in downtown Philadelphia um, that, that focuses on uh, pediatric research. Uh, and so, you know, you align, you know, these, these, these wonderful users um, that are, you know, uh, just focus on ending childhood disease, uh, and you've got this really clear mission. You've got a really complicated site. Um, it was a, a, a plan to be a um, hotel, and they poured foundations for a hotel. Uh, and then in COVID, they they pivoted and they said maybe we can repurpose this site and make it a, a lab building. And so mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it's a new building, but it had all these constraints for for you know what what was planned to be a hotel. And so. Uh, that was challenging, and I think we've, you know, the team has come away with this beautiful design um, uh, uh, for it. It's it's on the Schuylkill River, so it'll be a monument, and it's a transition between um, uh, an urban uh, framework and then a residential framework. And so the buildings had to respond to, you know, concerns concerns like that. So everyone, the whole community has been involved. Um, it's It's been an interesting process in terms of, you know, what we've accounted for and, and thought about in, in those senses. Um, so, you know, I, but the project will be nice, but I think the, the relationships from the team that have come out of it have been amazing. And like the, the team I work with, they can do anything now. Like, you know, after, after doing a fast paced, high rise, um, uh, challenging project like that, um, so, you know, you know, I'm happy. I think the next project is going to be the next one with the team that, you know, uh, is really enjoyable. Um, Interesting. You, you sound particularly passionate about that project. Um, and, and I imagine a project like that is something that's, you know, quite noteworthy, quite reputable. You mentioned kind of the communities involved there. So I imagine that's something that you spend quite a lot of time talking about and, and working on. What's something that you don't get to talk a lot about, uh, you know, a project that you've worked on or something in your career that you don't get a chance to talk about a lot, but you would, you would like the chance to talk about a little bit more? <laughs> oh, I'm glad you asked. So, so I'm an artist. Um, no. and, and, you know, I have a website, regalartist.com, R-E-G-A-L, uh, artist.com. And, um, you know, I've, um, in, in grad school, um, uh, I had a, a a focus on history and theory of architecture focused on science and technology and um, and the theory of science um, and that was at McGill University and part of my my thesis um, in, involved creating these these charcoal sketches and um, one thing led to another and the Montreal winter got so cold that um, 
I couldn't use charcoal indoor. I, it was just too messy and things like that. So I developed a process for um, uh, adding, you know, pastel and charcoal um, to a canvas that didn't create any dust. And that had to do with linseed oil and creating this thing. And I applied a patent for it. It's called pastel injected oil painting or PIOP. Um, but so I, I kind of generated this, this new way of working um, uh, for painting. And I went through these kind of, um, you know, this, this cool arc of, of um, working through uh, architectural issues in an abstract form. Um, and so my, my art was a way to kind of look at some of the, the geometries behind a building and, you know, take those apart. Um, and, and eventually I went into doing some, some, um, um, uh, portrait art, um, which, which was focused on, you know, this, this medieval concept, um, of, of moving around the city and having different perspectives as opposed to the kind of more, um, traditional framework of a, a, a perspectival projection. Um, and so, you know, I'm always kind of experimenting with, you know, pre, um, you know, the, the ideas of, uh, the framework of pre-reason, pre-scientific with, with post-scientific um, as, as a theme. Interesting. I tell you what, when I asked that question, I'm not sure the response, uh, I'm not sure what I'm expecting, but I'll be totally honest. I wasn't expecting that. I think <laughs> we, uh, we will definitely share that website when we release this uh, episode, but just for anyone who might not have had a chance to see that artwork behind, would you just be able to show that artwork once again? Interesting stuff. Appreciate that. But yeah, I guess we'll have a chance to see that on the website. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty big. Uh, for this it's a lot, big, a lot bigger than I thought it was with you kind of close to the camera there. Um, interesting that, Regal. Uh, moving on now from design and kind of looking at your future motivations and your future goals um, and also touching on previous ones as well. When you first started out, you know, Let's, let's talk, you know, moving away from the commercial interiors and residential when you first kind of got into this lab space work. What were your goals? Have you achieved them? And how have they changed over time? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the idea with going in, you know, with this this beginner's mind, right, is some of some of my goals were just, you know, how how can I learn as much as possible? And, you know, I feel like, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, like of of being exposed to science um, is I will never, you know, know everything, right? And in terms of uh, what's new, what's cutting edge, you know, things things just keep evolving. And um, so I think I think part of it was, you know, can I become a master of the domain, right? And that was that was a goal. Um, and and I think I've outlined it enough to know how to be flexible, how to you know how to accommodate future changes and technology, and you know adapt to it in a way um, research that would really help researchers, um, you know. In, in their day-to-day -day, uh, uh, practice. I, I think, um, so I think that was kind of a goal was, you know, oh, can I become an expert of this? Can I become really good? Um, and I think, you know, my background with history and theory, I think it's been, um, you know, cataloging all the lab buildings I work on and understanding and benchmarking and, you know, coming up with this um, almost scholastic way of looking at the process uh, is, is a part of like, um, you know, the idea of, um, I guess, craft and scholarship in what we do. Uh, and so I think, um, you know, I, I think as I move, you know, what my goals are, you know, have changed a little bit. Um, and I think, you know, my goal or my, my big idea now would be, you know, like, can, can I, can I run a practice in a way where, 
um, you know, the top researchers in the world call me up, you know, for advice. And, you know, that's, that's kind of where I want to be, um, you know, you know, at some point, um, I want to work with the top researchers, you know, in the world, um, you know, we want to support them uh, as much as we can. I think, you know, we've all, we've all, you know, witness the power of science when it all focuses together to solve world problems. Um, and so, you know, now I think I want to focus on the big things and, you know, have as much impact as I can, um, you know, and, and help really support science um, and, you know, the creation of knowledge uh, for, for humanity. Interesting. Well, one of my questions was going to be, you know, your next goal was for the next stage of your career, but, you know, it sounds like you've got the, uh, the, the kind of roadmap mapped out there. Um, one thing that, you know, more junior professionals will want to hear because not everything is, you know, roses and sunshine. There will be, you know, dips and, 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 and kind of moments in your career that haven't necessarily been, you know, as I said, sunshine. So what's something that you, either you know failed at or something that you didn't achieve in your career that still sticks with you to this day hmm. i'm sure i'm sure there's a lot of things here i'm like probably selective memory um is not <laughs> working um you, you know um yeah i think so i i i think um you know, it gets back to maybe some of my earlier days where, um, you know, I think maybe some of my biggest failures, um, which, which were, uh, noticeable, um, you know, had, had to do with some of my earlier work and, you know, um, as, you know, as the way the industry works, um, we'll work on a project for two years, design it, uh, it'll take two to three years to build it. Um, and then you'll see what, what, what actually got built. Right. And then, and then after that, um, uh, you know, a year into occupancy, maybe, maybe sooner, you'll get feedback if something didn't work right. Um, you know, in terms of layout, in terms of, you know, did it accommodate the people or the, the equipment or the processes, right? Um, and, and I think, I think I made some mistakes by just not understanding the space. And because of that lag, I ended up having done several buildings with layouts that I realized, oh, this isn't the best way to do it. But, you know, that's that was two years ago. And, you know, I know it'll come out three years from now. And so I think there's there's this kind of, um, you know, in, in some of some of those were realizing, you know, I guess the, you know, to identify it. It was, you know, really the relationship between um, how people use the space and, and showcasing it and making things public. Um, and, and at the time, um, you know, I think. um that may have not have been an important, but then I understood how important it became in terms of um, creating world-class uh, laboratory spaces. And I, I think um, that was kind of the biggest aha moment. And it made me much more critical of everything I did after that. Um, yeah. So, you know, seeing, seeing what actually gets built five years later is, you know, um, uh, always a surprise. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Well, I think, you know, people will have mistakes, troubles, failures every day. And I think hearing that, you, you know, you might have had some of them as well in your early careers and then seeing where you're at now will hopefully, you know, inspire someone to learn from their mistakes and, and, and perhaps be critical of their mistakes and, and kind of develop in that sense. So I think that'll be really helpful. But on that sense of kind of advice to others, we're going to kind of move into advice to industry professionals now. 
And I'm sure, Gregor, that you look at a lot of resumes for your team and I'm sure when you get sent them. So what's something that you would want to see from a top candidate on that resume? Yeah. um, You know, I think, I think resumes are really difficult. Um, I think resumes, you know, kind of get you in the door. And um, obviously when, you know, in, in, my role, what I'm looking, what I'm looking for is focused work in, in science and technology work. Right. And so that's, that's one thing. Um, what I'm interested in is how quickly someone can learn and how someone works as a team member and how someone collaborates, uh, and you know, how, how interested and passionate they are about what they do. Uh, so I, I have to weigh that because there are people that have never been able, you know, to work in this field or maybe are interested in moving into it from a previous role that, you know, I don't want to pass over because they have the skills or determination or, you know, um, especially, you know, cleverness and creativity, you know, are, are attributes that just sometimes don't come out on a resume. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, and, and, you know, everyone realizes when you're writing a resume, you know, you're going to, you're going to frame the experience as best you can. And, you know, that, that's it. But I think, um, what, what, we definitely look for when we're, you know, judging a candidate is, you know, how they think on their feet, their process, uh, you know, are they, you know, um, thinking about uh, things, especially um, motivation. And I think this is, this is the key, right? Is, uh, you know, is, is this person really motivated and passionate about what they're doing? Um, And, you know, if if you go to an interview and you talk about what you're passionate about and you know and and it aligns with what the the role is that's that's a win you know um mm-hmm. in, in my mind so again moving on there into the interview you can hear that you know passion motivation someone who's essentially going to be a sponge and um, that's what you want to see in, in that interview what don't you want to see? What are some mistakes that you've seen in the past that you think it might be important for, for candidates to be aware of? Well, I'm, I'm like a pushover. I, you know, I don't believe in the, the, um, uh, you know, first, first impressions are the only impressions. Um, I know people are nervous. I know people, you know, um, stutter. I know people, you know, say, um, I say, um, all the time there there's, so there's some, you know, mannerisms and, and things like that and anxiety, especially, you know, if you're younger staff and you've never had interviews before, um, uh, you know, that, that just shows the importance of training and things, things like that. But, um, you know, hopefully you get the job you want, you never have to interview again. Right. So is, is it a skill you need to develop? Um, it, it will be, you know, in the role where you interview with clients. And so, um, uh, you know, there's different levels and I, I think there's, um, you know, uh, different, different levels, um, of neurodiversity that are interested in science. Um, and so, you know, I think, um, you know, some of, some of the rules of thumb about what a well-rounded candidate are, you know, I think, um, you know, may still apply, but I, I do think, you know, um, we're, we're always looking, um, in all types of employees, uh, you know, all types of candidates, um, because everybody brings something to the table. And so I think, um, you know, having, having personality, owning your personality and, and especially passions, um, are, are the keys. So I think, you know, the opposite of that is probably the biggest mistake in, in my mind. Um, Interesting. 
I think there'll be a lot of people out there finding that quite helpful when they next um, go for any interview or particularly if they're interviewing with you, Regal. Um, thinking about the industry in general, obviously it's changed a lot since you first started to now. How do you see it changing over the next kind of five to 10 years or so? What are some, you know, big, you know, highlighting points that you see the industry changing over the next decade or so? Well, I see, you know, I see a lot of our um, senior level um, generation, uh, there'll be retirements coming up and maybe, you know, three to five, five to 10. Um, So I think, I think we're going to be seeing, um, you know, as, as baby boomers retire and Gen X and, and millennials take more leadership positions, you know, I think we're going to, we're going to be seeing, um, different types of, of teaming relationships, different types of, um, uh, hierarchies in terms of how we work. Um, definitely the, um, the pandemic has really changed, you know, um, the speed at which we can do remote work. Uh, and, you know, it was probably going to happen in 10 years anyways. Uh, but, but all the technologies there, all the supports there, uh, our, our company is still, you know, fully remote. We go in when we need to, we go, but we, we realize now, um, you know, you, you don't go in the office to do head, to, heads down work. You go into train, you go into, um, mentor, you, you go into collaborate. And that's what we focus on. Um, and so you want to, you want to work at home from your desk. That's, that's perfectly fine. And I think, we're going to see more of that and we're going to want um, uh, to to be hiring people and it doesn't matter where they live because we want the best talent. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't, it doesn't mean they have to commute in um, to be part of the company. Right. Um, so I think, I think we're going to see more of um, these, these kind of relationships that are at a distance. Um, I think in the industry, um, we're going to see, and we're already seeing it is uh, talent shortage. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, with what you do, you, you see it all the time. Uh, and so I think, I think there's a focus on um, attracting and retaining the best talent. And I think companies have to change some of the status quo on, on what they think um, retaining the best talent means um, and, and focusing uh, on, on programs and, and uh, on career paths that really, um, are are helping build and motivate people and and I think in in terms of that um, talent shortage is we also want to focus on um, non you know non traditional architects and designers and engineers right and people that have come up through the trades or technical colleges um, and and utilize you know the best minds out there uh, not not just because they've had a certain career path but um, you know, talent is talent, right? And and that's what we're looking for. So, I I think I think there's going to be more focus on um, re- results than pedigree in that sense, if that makes sense. Um, for, for staffing, I think you know, whilst that talent shortage isn't what we're all looking for out there, it is one of the reasons why I'm in a job, and you know, to be able to find those that that, that you know the, the lack of talent that might be out there, or kind of the shortage of talent that might be out there, particularly in your very niche space there. You, you know, you just started talking about, you know, Canon and, and the work structure there and, and kind of the supportive, flexible nature there. I think there's a lot of firms out there that aren't taking that approach and I think they'll somewhat get left behind. Um, but is there anything in particular about Canon? Because this this episode will go to a lot of, um, you know, professionals that might be looking for a new opportunity. They might be 
open to hearing about something. Is there anything in particular about Canon that you'd like to put across for future candidates to to think about and hear? Sure. Yeah, we, um, you know, so I've, you know, I've had the the benefit of being able to work at a lot of different firms across my career. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting things going on. Um, and, and every firm has its own culture and its own directives. And, um, and Canon Design has really, really um, been an interesting company um, in, in my mind. Um, and it's one I wasn't really familiar with earlier in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Canon Design um, is uh, a, a design focused company. It's about a hundred years old. It started in, um, in New York and, um, you know, has, has grown since then. Uh, but I think the thing that's interesting, um, is, is the way, um, everyone at the company, uh, is focused on, um, living center design and on, um, a, a, a kind of hypothesis focused approach, uh, to design. Um, and what, what we do differently is, um, we're focused on designers. Uh, and so it's not just architects, it's not engineers. Um, we have, you know, a board of directors that, you know, there's less architects and engineers than there are, you know, HR and um, planners and different, you know, staff, staff in different career roles. And so um, it's, it's really about creating a company that approaches design differently than a, a, a normal architecture firm. And so we've got, we've got a, a, an arm called MD plus uh, that does modular construction and so, you know, it's it's interesting, uh, you know, a traditionally uh, A&E firm owns a modular construction company. Um, and and one of the things, you know, our our core team has figured out is, you know, uh, to scale a company in architecture, you know, there's kind of a set path. You can only grow so fast. And so we're also looking at ways to um, uh, scale the company in um, ways that make profit uh at, at rates higher than what an architecture firm might do. Um, and, and so we also have a software side. Uh, we have a facilities optimization group. Um, and so we have all of these components um, uh, and, and a consulting, consulting side um, called Blue Cottage uh, that focuses on strategy and high-level things um, uh, that are just bigger than, than an architecture project. Um, and so what... Um, What's different about it is being able to work with all these experts from across the field and and getting an understand um, and it it really kind of starts jumpstarting um, careers in the sense that oh I didn't know about that like oh you know this, we can think bigger or we could do things differently um, so you know I would let people know that it's an interesting company if anyone's interested you know I'd be happy to talk more or, you know there's other people um, you know if there's a focus but um, the idea is it's almost the kind of like um, you know, tech mentality of um, move fast and break things, right? Is if if you want to try something, you know, we'll we'll try it and we'll support staff um, uh, to do it. And you know, that's that's the thing that's really interesting because I think architecture is evolving and the architect's role is evolving and who architects are and c- contribute um, is evolving, right? And so we want to be nimble and evolve uh, with all of those concepts. Absolutely. It's something I hear quite commonly as well. I think it's in regular. I think if anyone else wants to hear more about Canon uh, at, underneath this episode, when we share it, we will share your LinkedIn. We will share your Canon profile. We'll of course also share your website for your great art. That's the, the advertisement behind your head over there. 
But that is all we've got time for this morning. Um, so absolutely, really appreciate you coming on here, Regal. Um, and if anyone does want to connect with Regal, his LinkedIn information will be uh, underneath um, when we share this podcast. So Regal, really appreciate your insight. I'm sure there's thousands of candidates out there that will appreciate it too. And thank you for being a guest on the Design Leaders podcast. Well, thank you, Jakey. I, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Design Leaders podcast on leadership in design and architecture. I hope you found it informative and inspiring. Remember, great leaders are not born. They're made through hard work, dedication, and a willingness to learn and grow. I encourage you to develop your leadership skills and apply them in your own design and architecture practice. Stay tuned for more episodes. And until next time, keep leading with passion and purpose.